Welcome into another special NBA Draft edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Irving, alongside NBA Canada draft expert Eric Fossett, and we're here to round out the rest of the lottery for the 2020 NBA Draft. If you missed last week's episode where we talked about the top-tier players in this year's draft class from LaMelo Ball to Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Denny Avia, Killian Hayes, and Obi Toppin, you can find that anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. It'll be there. For today, we shift our focus to the rest of the lottery, picks 6 through 14, covering the players that may shuffle around in that range. To give you an idea of the teams drafting in that range, at number 6, we have the Atlanta Hawks, number 7, Detroit Pistons, 8, New York Knicks, 9, Washington Wizards, 10, Phoenix Suns, 11, San Antonio Spurs, 12, Sacramento Kings, 13, New Orleans Pelicans, and 14, Boston Celtics, just to paint the picture of the teams that could potentially draft the players that we're talking about today. But before we dive right into that, Eric, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. It's uh, so good to be talking basketball. Uh, I just uh, wanted to thank everyone who has already uh, tuned into that first episode where we're so happy uh, there's an appetite for some draft content here. So uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And Kyle, thanks for being here to, uh, to host with me. Of course, of course. Before we get into the players specifically, just want to bring up a couple pieces of news that came out this week. One thing being that Minnesota Timberwolves, Gerson Rosas has identified that nobody has really came out as a clear cut number one selection so far in their pre-draft process. He did say that, you know, he feels like in his quote, the best talent will rise to the top, but so far that hasn't exactly happened. Another interesting piece of information, the athletics, Ethan Strauss came out yesterday and said that the Golden State Warriors were quote unquote blown away by the workout that Denny Avia had with Golden State this week. So uh, before we dive into the rest of the lottery, Eric, what are your kind of reactions to those two statements? I mean, when it comes to the Warriors uh, loving Avia's workout, I love to hear that because that's who I have number two in my mock draft. And that's who I've had number two in my mock draft uh, ever since I put out my first one a few months ago. So uh, there's definitely part of me that's like, yes, uh, I love to see that because of selfish reasons and uh, because I don't see a lot of people with him at two, but I've always had him at two. Uh, but it also just makes so much sense to me. The, the Warriors are in win now mode. It, look at, looking at the other players at the top of the draft, Anthony Edwards, I think he'll be a contributor right away. But do I think he flawlessly is going to be able to fit into a, a really good team system without making mistakes, making errors here and there on both the defensive and offensive side? That's tough. Uh, LaMelo Ball. I don't think the Warriors are, that's someone the, the Warriors are trying to slide in seamlessly to a, to a pre-existing core. Uh, you, you, just some of these players at the top, you're just not totally sure they're fit right away. And uh, you look at Denny and, and he's someone who's been playing in the, one of the best leagues in the world outside the NBA for a couple of seasons now. So he's so much more polished than a lot of these, uh, these one-year college players are whatever you want to call them, Ella Ball, half Lithuanian one year, half, uh, half NBL. But um uh, I, I think that uh, I think that Denny just has such a polished skill set. Uh, I, I think he can play him on the ball if you want. Uh, if you're getting you know a Steph Curry on, on the bench for a bit, he can play off the ball if he's in there with the starters. I, I think he just fits really well with that team, and I also think he might just straight up be the second best talent. So, uh, as someone who has been saying that for a little while now, uh, it was nice to see that maybe justified a little bit in those comments. But uh, hey, in terms of that Minnesota news, uh, that is all posturing to me. That is uh, I. I I don't believe that for a second. And hey, if if that is seriously the case and Minnesota does not know who they want to take at number one, I, I'm sorry, that's really poor scouted. I mean, this is the longest time uh, teams have ever had to evaluate talent. Uh, 
as much as yes, this is kind of a bit of, this is not a prototypical draft year when it comes to who is the best talent, who is the second best talent. It's definitely murky, but man, if you don't know at this point who you think the best player in the draft is, uh, that's on your scouts, that's on front office. And uh, that's concerning for a team who's, scouting in front office has not been very good, but Hey, I mean, Hey, maybe they like Wiseman, but don't want to use the number one pick on them. They're, they're trying to move down and, and get an asset. Maybe they want, maybe they want a Dia. Maybe, you know, if, when I, whenever I hear a team at the top being like, man, we're just not sure who we're looking to take. I, I assume it's posturing. And I assume that they, uh, they're just trying to keep any available trades open. But uh, what do you think Kyle about those, those two bits of news? It makes me a little bit, um, weary that the Timberwolves report came out before the Warriors report because now it's making me think maybe the Warriors are throwing a little bit of a smoke screen. Maybe, uh, you know, I mean, it, in, it be as an incredible talent, but it makes me think maybe they're trying to entice teams that are, you know, maybe one or two picks behind them that thought Advia might fall to them. And now all of a sudden they're scrambling because they're like, oh, if we want this guy, we have to trade up. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting and you never know what's going through the mind of, uh, some of these reports once they're put out there, because at the end of the day, they're controlling that these get out there in the first place. So you never know who they want to hear that news. And especially the teams positioned at the top of the draft where uh, other teams might be trying to trade up, trade back, however they, however they look at it. But we talked about the Timberwolves and Warriors and what they're going to do with their picks a little bit on that first podcast last week. So again, if you want to dive deeper into that and you missed that, you can catch that anywhere you listen to podcasts, but looking to the rest of the lottery, what are some of the teams uh, in that six to 14 range that, or what is one specific team from that six to 14 range that interests you the most? Uh, I think the team that I am most intrigued by, uh, which could be the case in every draft year, but this is another one uh, is the Knicks because man, they, uh, they could use talent anywhere uh, at any position. Uh, I don't know who they like on their roster. So I don't really know who they're looking to build around. Uh, and you look at where they're at in the draft right now and you say, oh man, there is not a clear difference maker that they can get. Uh, when uh, By the points in the draft where they're at, um, at pick number eight, that's definitely where you start to get into, uh, on my mock draft as well as some other people's mock drafts, that's where you definitely start to get into a little bit of the uh, the, the you know high-level role player outlooks, I would say, for players, such as like a Devin Vassell or maybe Onyeko Kongu kind of falls down there. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, if you really like it. But, but mo- these are guys that are not projected to be all-stars they're not even necessarily projected to be super high level starters they're they're more guys to round out um to round out what is uh what you'd hope would be a good core and the Knicks do not have a good core so the Knicks who have just been disasters and a lot of elements of of building their rosters for them to be at pick eight in this draft uh that's super intriguing to me yeah it's funny you say that so uh when Eric and I had kind of gone through this. We decided not to share with each other uh, what our answers were going to be for each of these, you know, superlatives that we're going to give out. And I had a feeling this would happen a couple of times. I also had the New York Knicks, just like you said, they're always the most intriguing team because you almost want to, you just want to see how they, I don't want to say screw this up, but that's kind of what I'm headed towards anyways. Um, I, I just want to see, you know, because you're going to find out which players on their roster they like, depending on who they draft, unless they're just selecting the best player available, which for a team like that, that might be in their best interest. But uh, to give you a different outlook for a different team, uh, I had the Atlanta Hawks as well on my radar. And I will say that part of that is me hoping that my prediction after last year's draft uh, comes to fruition. I had written something on NBA.com 
about how the Atlanta Hawks could become contenders by 2022. I gave myself a couple of years in advance. Uh, I like the selections that they made last year. And I still think that they have an extremely talented and intriguing young core, but they're still plenty of pieces away. And I just think that this draft could be um, vital for them making the correct selection to grow alongside some of their young, talented players they have, like Trey, Trey Young, John Collins, uh, DeAndre Hunter from last year. And then they brought in Clint Capella at the trade deadline. So they're another team that I'm going to be looking out for to see uh, who they slide in to grow alongside the young talent they already have on that roster. And if they can start making an impact and potentially make a push to the playoffs uh, next year. But like I just said, the way that we're going to kind of introduce this to you in, in order to cover a vast topic of players and, and give you an idea about what each of these guys are special with, we're going to do uh, superlatives in a way to introduce these players. So Without further ado, to get right into it, uh, who will be the biggest regret that a team drafting inside the top five missed out on, let's say, at the end of the NBA season? Uh, I, I love this answer that I'm about to give. I'm just going to you know, proclaim it now. But uh, Kyra Lewis from Alabama, I think, is so, so good. Uh, I've got a mocked ninth or 10th, I think I, I you know, might be, uh, uh, might be making a few changes before it, uh, before it goes live, though I already submitted it to you, Kyle, but uh, uh, Kyra Lewis, uh, for starters, one, he's, uh, he's already played two years of college. He is still going to be one of the younger players in the draft. He entered college as someone who just turned 17. So as a reference point, he is right now, after playing two years in college, he is still going to be younger than some incoming freshman of this upcoming season. So he's someone who is essentially a high school player, but he's already put together two really good college seasons at Alabama. I think he would have gotten drafted if he left after um, after his freshman year. I actually don't think he'd even be allowed to. I don't think he would have been old enough technically. Uh, but, you know, 6'3 guard, so talented with the ball in his hands. Uh, great pace, can play so quickly in the open floor. He can also – he's also someone who does so well at using a ball screen, getting downhill, and just like knifing towards uh, towards the paint with uh, such tempo. But, but also makes really good decisions, and he's a capable three-point shooter. So – I look at some of the past drafts and, and I see De'Aaron Fox as a player who's really similar to him, except Kyra Lewis, you know, not quite as fast, not quite as good of a defender, but a much better shooter. Um, I look at John Morant, Kyra Lewis, don't get me wrong. He is not as athletic, nowhere near as explosive as, as John Morant, uh, but is someone who has uh, a lot of the similar playmaking abilities, uh, similar ability to pass as, as John Morant. But once again, Kyra Lewis is a better shooter. So I, I just see that De'Aaron Fox was, you know, where he got drafted, where John Morant got drafted. And I say, hey, I, Kyra Lewis is, is could very well be somewhere in that range of outcomes as those two players, but, uh, but he's def, but he, you know, isn't talked really at all as, as a top five pick. I think, uh, you know, most people will have him where I do somewhere in the like 10 to 12 or nine to 15 range. So um, I absolutely love Kyra Lewis and he is absolutely a guy that I, I think people are going to look back and just say like, man, we, we've drafted point guards that looked like him in the top five over and over and over again. Uh, why did we not see it with Lewis? Yeah, he's someone that's interesting because I feel like he has such a wide range in these mock drafts of where he falls. I had him going all the way to 21 uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers, which is a far drop. Um, but it's just, it's interesting how a player like that, who, like you said, has a lot of the similar qualities as these point guards that have been drafted so high previously in NBA drafts, um, how he could vary from, you know, inside the top 10 uh, into the lottery all the way back to the 20s. And I'm not the only person that I've seen that has him falling that, that deep into mock drafts as well. So what's the, what's the concern with Kyra Lewis that maybe he isn't a lottery talent? 
I think with Kyra Lewis, the concern is, well, he didn't win a lot at Alabama. I would suggest his, his team wasn't very good. Uh, and I would also just say one of the biggest concerns is where do you draft a point guard these days? Uh, I mean, it, there was a few, you know, a few years back where the point guard was kind of considered one of the most important positions. But now you look at, uh, you look at the way that the NBA game is played, particularly in the playoffs, and you see any true point guard on the floor get headhunted every time down the floor. It's just uh, whether you're, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, whether you're LeBron James, whether you're Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. I mean, those guys come down the floor. The first thing they do is, is run a series of ball screens to try to get point guards switched on the, onto them. So I, I think Lewis has good size. At, you know, he's six foot three. He's not thick. He's maybe 175 pounds. So he's not, he's not tiny, but he's whatever average average point guard size and I think teams are going to look at the yeah going to look at the playoffs and just say like man if we are if we don't just put out everyone who's six five and above on the floor and and, and physical uh, that player is getting headhunted every time down the floor so I, I think that you were well I, I I know we're seeing point guards valued less than we than we have in the past and uh, I would say that's kind of one of the reasons where and and again I think it's 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 a fair it's a fair take there's there's no question um and i could see yeah i could see some front offices just saying like hey unless this is a all-out certainty stud at a six foot two or six foot three point guard we're, we're not super interested so i'm actually going to go in a different direction also a point guard like you said someone who's six five someone that you don't necessarily have to worry about switching on to ball screens i am in love with tyrese halliburton's game he is so long so athletic six eight wingspan um his his arms are so long that it almost looks awkward with when he's dribbling the ball, moving around on the court. Uh, he's got that, you know, kind of interesting release on his jump shot where it seems like he took beef, balance, elbows, eyes, follow through a little too seriously when he was taught growing up. If you look at the numbers, he shot over 40% from three in both seasons at Iowa State. So clearly he's found a way to work around that unorthodox looking shot. And he doesn't really jump all that much either, but he doesn't necessarily have to because he's a bigger point guard. I think that he's someone that has a ton of length. He has great touch with his shots uh, around the rim. Once he gets into the paint, he has a variety of floaters. He's really good at using that length to get around defenders and finish at the rim. Uh, I also just think he's a ridiculous passer. I think he actually shows flashes of Ben Simmons in transition when he gets downhill. And he really has that like showtime ability to him that he just knows how to look off a defender and find the open guy. And he can do it in the half court as well. And pick and rolls, he can do it uh, finding, you know, teammates off screens. He can do it uh, when he's, you know, working in the pick and roll, trying to drive to the rim and then kicking out to the perimeter. You see him, you know, hit these ridiculous skip passes that it, it's extremely impressive. But I just think that his talent level and the potential that he has there as a bigger point guard, who, like you said, you won't necessarily have to worry about him getting headhunted when teams decide to run a series of ball screens, try and get bigger forwards switched on, bigger athletic forwards switched on to smaller guards he's not someone that you're gonna have to worry about there so I really think that Tyrese Halliburton is someone that if he's not selected in the top five a couple teams might shake their heads and say man I wish I grabbed him Uh, but that moves us on to a different type of player someone that is not necessarily talked about as highly as a top five talent but could end up working their way into becoming one of the better players in the draft class who do you think is the biggest sleeper that will go in the lottery I, I think the biggest sleeper, and it's it's kind of maybe totally fair why why he's getting slept on, but I, I think it's Patrick Williams at Florida State. Uh, again, just a player who is uh, has every kind of physical gift you want. He he's built exactly like these forwards that we just talked about as the elite 
kind of players in the, in the NBA is he's, you know, six foot eight, 225 pounds. He's just like so muscular, so bouncy. Uh, and uh, the thing is he is definitely raw. There's, there's no question about it. He didn't show a lot of kind of ability to put the ball on the floor. Didn't show a lot of offensive instincts. Uh, but he, I just feel like every year you, you know, you look up and down the rosters, particularly when it comes to these six foot eight ish wings, uh, and you see players that did not play particularly well in college. Uh, they got drafted based exclusively off their athleticism and physical gifts, and then they figure it out. Um, it just seems like that, that that script has happened many times, and uh, it comes to the draft, and people look at these guys and say, oh, you know, he didn't show he, – he wasn't polished at all, which Patrick Williams isn't. Oh, he's not a great shooter. I think Patrick Williams hit 32% of his threes. Not, not a great shooter. Uh, but uh, – but then you just look up to the NBA and their game is just so perfectly suited to, to the game. And uh, I, I'm going to go full physical gifts and say that Patrick Williams is, is kind of a sleeper in this draft. So I'm going to jump the script a little bit here because the next one that we had coming up next pro that we had coming up was the biggest reach of the draft. And I had Patrick Williams down for biggest reach of the draft. Oh. So I, now I want to bounce oh, I this love back it. to you. I had him down because, again, like you said, he's not necessarily a great shooter. He only averaged nine points and four rebounds at Florida State, but he has all the physical tools. But how many times in the NBA have we seen a tweener get selected and just kind of get lost and never really find his footing in the NBA? I mean, there's only uh, so much room for the P.J. Tucker types, uh, the smaller forward centers that kind of really find a role and get into um, identifying who they want to be in the NBA. So, uh, for you saying that he could become the biggest sleeper in this draft, what are some of your concerns for areas that he needs to improve or, or where he could really find a role in the NBA and what he's going to have to do to become successful? Uh, well, I mean, he's going to have to shoot the ball there. There's no question. If you're going to be out there as uh, the fifth starter, as whether he's played as just a, a monster size three or uh, maybe a regular four, or maybe a small ball five in the PJ Tucker role you mentioned, at, at some point he is going to need to, uh, he's going to need to hit threes. And uh, I, I see him being such an impactful defender that I think he just needs to get up to, like, I forget what the, I think the, av the average three point percentage in the NBA kind of hovers around 35%. Um, you can argue that number a little bit when you eliminate, when you kind of account for late shot clock heaves, but you know, if you're a catch and shoot player, I, I, I 35, 36% is, is kind of the average. And uh, he definitely needs to get somewhere kind of near that, near that range because uh, yeah, while I think he's going to be a fantastic, fantastic defender I don't think he's going to be like an all-world defender like when when Andre Robertson was out there um just not getting guarded but being so impactful defensively that that it was worth having on the floor so uh yeah that would be kind of uh that that'd be the biggest barrier of entry for him I would say so going back to the script and with the biggest sleeper I had Sadiq Bey at Villanova I again like I said about Tyrese Halliburton I love Sadiq Bey I think that the team that ends up with him could end up with the steal of the entire draft not just the lottery I just think that he's physical. He's willing to take smaller defenders into the paint and play with his back to the basket. He's a true three-level scorer. He shot 45% from three last year, his sophomore season at Villanova. Um, and even though he has a little bit of a stiff shot, it, it goes in. And he's a little bit stiff dribbling, which I had a comparison of Jalen Brown for him, who Jalen Brown, even though he was the number three overall pick, uh, I thought he also was very raw as far as dribbling coming out of college. And really, honestly, until last season, did I, did I start to see Jalen Brown get really comfortable handling the ball? And we saw uh, he almost took a leap to an all-star level at that end. So I think that Sadiq Bey has the talent to become uh, that type of player if he can really kind of 
smooth out his game, iron out his game on the offensive end because he is a three-level scorer. He can shoot. He can drive to the rack. He can play with his back to the basket a little bit. And he's a decent playmaker, really good on the defensive end. He's long with a 6'10 wingspan. He's big. He's 215 pounds. Um, I think that if he can, you know, iron out the ball handling and, uh, you know, kind of develop his playmaking a little bit more, I think that he could really become the steal of this year's draft. And in 2018, I had the pleasure of uh, working at Villanova University in their athletic department. I've been with that program up close and personal, and I just know how Jay Wright operates. I know how he gets these guys prepared for the next level. And we're starting to see a ton of players that he coached get ready for that next level. And there's a bunch of them in the league now from a guy like Eric Pascal last year, who was taken in the second round and he ended up being all rookie selection. There's Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, Mikhail Bridges. There's plenty of guys in the league that he's developed. And I think that he just, trains these guys to be a team first player and Sadiq Bey is going to be a good locker room guy. He's someone that's always going to put the team first and it starts on the defensive end and next goes to making your teammates better. And then it's how can I help myself? And I think that that could go a long way in selecting someone like Bay. but I want to go back to the biggest reach because I had already announced that I thought Patrick Williams was going to be the biggest reach. So I'm curious to see, to hear how uh, you feel on who could be the biggest reach in the lottery. I think the biggest reach in the lottery is going to be Devin Vassell, uh, Patrick Williams' teammate at Florida State. Uh, there is just, you look at the last couple of drafts, uh, you look at this draft, there are definitely going to be teams that say, we need a three and D wing. Those are the kind of players that everyone's looking for in free agency. They're always looking for them at the trade deadline. They're always looking for them in the draft. So there's going to be teams that are kind of dead set on, on getting three and D wings. And uh, Devin Vassell is a guy who's been talked about really highly by in a lot of people's mock drafts uh, and as well as some people that have, uh, you know, some, some anonymous guys uh, from kind of the draft coverage and uh, especially from the athletic. But when I like at Devin Vassell for starters, uh, again, I think people hear Devin Vassell and they think, um, you know, physical wing defender. And I think he just looks really small. Like he's not someone who's like, I think he's listed at six foot seven. I don't know if I believe he's six foot seven. I think he's listed at like 200 pounds. I don't think he's 200 pounds. And to me, he looks a lot like Danny green, which I, I'm not trying to dog on Danny green. Uh, very good defender. But again, Danny green is a player who has the reputation as a fantastic defender. And he is a really good defender. I think he's overrated as a defender. But the thing with Danny Green is he's never been a guy that was really good at guarding the Kawhi Leonard's, the Paul George's, the bigger wings. He was someone who was best guarding the Ray Allen's. Um, he, he's very good at negotiating around screens, not getting hung up on, on picks. Uh, he's really good at containing smaller guards, using his, uh, using his wider base and, and really good angles to kind of contain smaller guards. So uh, I kind of look at Devin Vassell that way as someone who I think is really good when he's got a length advantage guarding on the perimeter uh, so I think he's uh, he's someone that yeah if you put if you play him at the shooting guard and he's playing six foot four uh, kind of threats on the perimeter uh, that's great but I, I think I think when it, when it comes to the bigger wings he's going to be a, quite outmatched physically I don't think he's particularly explosive um, and, and then he's, uh, he's put up some good three-point shooting numbers, but as I'm sure you've seen Kyle and many, many people listening, are listening, uh, his agent put out this like puzzling video of him shooting the basketball in, in a workout the other day where he's just cocking the ball behind his back and or behind his head and just in form that was like, like I went through on, looked on some synergy clips and I just could never see him shooting the ball like that. And uh, it is not a, not a favorable looking stroke. So I, 
I, I, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to put too much stock. I, I just, this whole culture of like, let's overreact to videos that people put out in the, in the pre-draft process for better or for worse is, is foolish. But, uh, but for me, it's, it's more that, you know, that Devin Vassell has this reputation as this like lockdown perimeter defender and, or lockdown, just like defender. And um, I, I don't think he's going to be a super, super impactful wing defender i think he's going to be a good wing defender who's better on smaller guys um i think he's limited offensively uh, other than the ability to hit the uh, the open three which is which is great it's a good ability but I, again some people are kind of talking about him in the mix at like six to atlanta um there's some people that i fear are going to reach on him and just at the end of the day uh, we'll look and say why and if you're going to look for the video that eric was just talking about uh, you might have a little bit of trouble because his agent actually took it down because <laughs> it had such a backlash on it. I mean, it really is like if it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. I mean, like you said, he had good shooting numbers in college. So why is he adjusting his jumper that already had a pretty high release going into the NBA? Um, but so do you believe that because of how the game is moving and how important three and D players are becoming, that's where he's becoming overvalued? Absolutely. I just, uh, yeah, again, well, I, I mentioned, uh, mentioned the Hawks earlier, uh, you know, DeAndre Hunter, another guy in last year's draft that um, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like he gets drafted really high. And uh, I, I think his, de- his kind of development curve and what he's put on the floor is kind of what you expect. And now there's people who are like, wow, they took him way too high. I just, I, again, I just think there is such value put on three and D wings and understandably. So they are required in, in basketball, but man, if you get using those, you know, higher lottery picks on them, I just don't think you're getting great return on investment. And uh, I think that'll be Devin Vassell this year. So if he's the biggest reach, who is someone that, in your opinion, you think should replace him or could replace him as someone that will slide into the lottery being projected more on the outside looking in on most mock drafts? So I haven't been bold enough to do it myself, but I'm going to take the what, what I think could be the better version of Devin Vassell. And that's Desmond Bain from TCU. Um, a player that I love. I wrote about him as one of the best shooters in the draft. I wrote about him um, as a player that, uh, you know, if he somehow slides to the Raptors, they should do whatever they can to get, to, to get him, maybe move up a little bit. Uh, Desmond Bain, four-year college player. And whenever it's a four-year college player, uh, there's definitely just a little bit, you know, people aren't as high on those, those older college players. They kind of forget about them if they don't have kind of one and done or two and through uh, splashed potential, but man, Desmond Bain, four-year college player who has shot the ball incredibly every each each one of his four seasons. He has limitless range. He's built really strong. He's like six foot six and, and two fifteen, and because he's so strong, he just shoots the ball so effortlessly from deep. He's just got such a strong base. Doesn't matter if it's you know twenty-two feet, twenty-eight feet. He just uh, with such strong lower body, he just puts it up with the same form uh, that he does. It looks like a free throw. The guy, the guy just shoots effortlessly. Uh, I also think he's a tremendous defender who has that size to play NBA wings. Uh, someone who, because he's a four-year college player, polished game, mature body, uh, I think he's ready to contribute next year. And I, I think he's more than just a shooter. I think he's someone who is a tremendous passer. Uh, not that he needs to be someone negotiating ball screens and and someone you force the ball into, but I think he's someone that if the ball gets swung to, he attacks a closeout because defenses are respecting his shot. He's someone who can who can put it on the floor and, and make the right read make a great skip pass into the pocket of another shooter bounce it down into a diving big man um uh, I, again i look at some of the three and d talents and they really are that they're th- 
three and D talents, their offensive game is limited to the three. And uh, I think Desmond Bain is just so much more than that. So uh, Desmond Bain is a guy that's been climbing in most people's mock drafts and I'm not bold enough to put him in my, my lottery, but uh, he's someone that, Hey, if, uh, if a team got him in there at the end of the lottery, I'd be like, yes, I love that. I think from time to time, people just get scared away at four-year college players because, you know, they don't have that 20-year-old, 19-year-old tag next to their name where whether it's general managers or executives that are making these decisions feel like the player may have already reached their full ceiling and might not feel like that is something that will translate to the NBA. When you say with Desmond Bain, I think that there's a plethora of other guys in this draft class that I know that you and I have talked about, a potential podcast topic on its own of just discussing these veteran guys that... Uh, could fall in the draft and still make an impact on some of these teams immediately. But sticking on the topic of three and D as someone that I feel like could slide into the lottery. I had Josh Green as someone who he's explosive. He's long. He has a six ten wingspan at six foot six, 19 years old. He's a, a true three and D threat that I had comparisons of Gary Harris, who I think, uh, I mean, he's had some injury trouble and he's had trouble staying on the floor, but again, he's kind of a prototypical shooting guard in today's NBA. And I think that Josh Green is someone that, could be worth taking a risk on if you're a team in the lottery looking for shooting. And like you said, if Devin Vassell isn't that guy, uh, maybe there's other players that aren't going to fall in the lottery like a Josh Green, like a Desmond Bain, that could be uh, more well-suited there, whether they actually slide into the lottery or not. Another player that I had there uh, to step away from the 3 and D is Maryland forward Jalen Smith. Just because he's extremely versatile, he has a soft touch, he's a good rim protector, he has a lot of energy on the glass, um, I just think that he has a lot of intangibles that make him a perfect fit for the way that the game is moving and playing small ball. And I mean, he's not exactly small. Uh, he's 6'10 with a 7'2 wingspan. That's not very small at all. But the way that he plays, uh, he, he can step out to the perimeter. He could be a pick and pop threat, pick and roll threat. And I just think that he's someone that once the draft plays out, I think that Jalen Smith could end up being someone that if he's in the right situation, he could find a way to make an impact on the team immediately. So, you know, you, uh, I, I had Kyra Lewis at 10, you had him at uh, 21, I think you said. So that was a pretty big range. Um, I have Jalen Smith at 42nd in my, in my draft. Wow. I am okay. not a big fan. So that is going to be a fun one to watch. Um, not just on draft night, but uh, we can revisit this in a, in maybe two years for, for Jalen Smith for bigger, just to see how, uh, uh, just to see exactly how he pans out. I am not particularly high on him. I, I loved watching him in college. I, I don't see it translating as well. So, um, that's going to be a fun one, but just, just quick about Josh Green, just uh, uh, something that that could be a really, a really wise pick that you had there because Josh Green is a guy that like up until this year was someone who was talked about in that kind of top five potential pick mode, uh, just all through his high school career. He was someone who was like, definitely some people thought, Hey, he's someone who could get in that mix to be a number one, even maybe number two, number three pick. So uh, yeah, college career didn't go exactly as planned, but he's got that upside. So that's a great pick as someone who could, who could end up really surprising. As far as um, the best fit, someone that you think that, you know, when you're lining up your mock draft and you've fallen in love with a certain place that you've had a team select this player and you think that that's going to be a great fit, it's going to work out perfectly, who is that for you? So this player, uh, I first just had him in this draft position, uh, not because, and I wasn't looking at teams. This is where I had him before before the, uh, the order was announced. Um, I just thought he was in this position on my big board and then the order got announced and the team that he would fall to was perfect. So 
a player that we already talked about, I didn't have a chance to respond, was, uh, you know, you were talking about Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton is a player that I, I, I know some people really, really love him. Um, my concern with Tyrese Halliburton is I do not think he's a very good athlete. Um, I, I think he struggles defensively. Uh, and I think, yeah, he, he struggles with some of that fluidity, especially in his hips that just, uh, he's, he doesn't create great separation. Uh, he kind of struggles later, moving laterally on defense at times. Uh, but man, he is very high IQ and man, he can really shoot the basketball. Um, so where do really high IQ players that aren't great athletes that can shoot the ball go? San Antonio Spurs at 11. So I already had him at it. So again, I had him as my 11th best player, just kind of in a vacuum. He was my number 11. Um, the order came out. I kind of saw how things were shaking down. And uh, yeah, I saw him going to the Spurs and uh, that it, it just seems like a match made in heaven. He's uh, in a lot of ways, Tyrese Halliburton is like way better Kyle Anderson. He's definitely smaller. Um, he's more of a guard than, than Anderson was, but Anderson was a player, high IQ, uh, not a great athlete. And, and the Spurs have gotten a lot out of him. And this is, I, this is a little bit of a tangent. Um, one other thing I've got to say about the Spurs, what needs to die this year in 2020 officially is the narrative of, Hey, who are, what, what obscure European international player are the San Antonio Spurs going to pick? It's, it's a joke that everyone makes. Um, it, it, it's a tired trope. And I'll tell you this. So if you look at the NBA draft picks that the Spurs have made over the last decade, I think they've had like 20 picks. They've only chosen four international players. The Spurs Yes, in like 2004, yes, the Spurs were going way off the board, picking obscure European players. The, the Spurs are no longer the team that does that. Um, okay, here are their last picks. Quindary Witherspoon, Mississippi State, Keldon Johnson, Kentucky. Uh, Samanich, yeah, international player. Before that, it was from Miami, from USC, from Colorado, from Clemson, from Washington, then from Belgrade in, in Serbia, then UMass, then UCLA, then Tennessee. So again, this, this is just my one opportunity. I, I just, it's one of my at peeves Kyle I had to get off my chest but um if you want to be a smart draft watcher this year don't make the Spurs are going to draft a European comment because they they just they don't do that I mean yes if there's a great European player they'll take it but um yes this isn't 2005 um the Spurs love their American players and they love their they love their college talents and I think they're taking one here in, in Halliburton it's funny that you have Halliburton there because as one of my player comparisons that I have for Tyrese Halliburton I had DeJounta Murray who is a player that's found success when he's on the floor for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, in my mock draft, Great I also had Devin Vassell as a player that could land in San Antonio, uh, help them out with three-point shooting a little bit. They shoot the least amount of threes, but the most, at the most efficient rate in the NBA this past season. Uh, and, you know, the mid-range has not died in San Antonio, as we know with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. So I thought Vassell could be someone that could uh, fit in there as a, a 3 and D guy to try and help them out in that area. But my perfect fit that I had, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans and Aaron Neesmith. I think that he's someone, he has a flamethrower. He is a sniper. I mean, this is a guy that averaged 11 points per game as a freshman and bumped that up to 23 points per game as a sophomore. He shot 52% last year on eight attempts per game. It's not a small sample size. It's 115 three-pointers that he attempted this past season. And I think that alongside guys like Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, who can play inside and out as a playmaker. He can shoot a little bit, but he also can put the ball on the floor and make his teammates better around him. And then all the t attention that Zion Williamson is going to command down low, I think Aaron Neesmith could be a great fit there. And he can also learn from one of the best to ever do it, J.J. Redick, just learning how to free himself up on the perimeter, how to come off screens, the right way to really make his flamethrower sniper jump shot uh, as efficient and as prolific as possible at the next level.
That's a good fit because I don't think in a vacuum, Neesmith is the 13th best player, but uh, they're definitely at a point where they've got their core intact. Um, they need they need to round out that uh, the, that nucleus. And uh, t- that's a team without a great draft record. They've been known to take some swings. And uh, I, yeah, I think that that'd be a great pick for them to just get one of the best shooters that's going to be available at that time. Uh, space it out for Zion, space it out for Lonzo, space it out for Ingram. Um, he would perfectly kind of fit in that in that role and uh yeah i really like that pick i hadn't thought about that but that's a that's a really nice fit and before we completely wrap things up here is there a player that we didn't talk about that you would like to bring up right now and let our listeners know that this is another name in the lottery that you need to keep your eye on well i think a player that um that i think could end up getting uh, uh going really high uh, that, that i think i just briefly mentioned his name but some people have in the, the mix for like fourth or, or fifth overall is Onyeko Kongwu from from USC and he's a player that I don't think any player benefited more um, from Bam Adebayo having such a good playoffs than Onyeka Kongwu who would be the closest thing to Bam Adebayo in in this draft uh, someone who has kind of the similar size yeah he's going to be an undersized five um, or kind of a power you know power forward of, of really good size. Uh, but Okongu has that kind of playmaking ability, the ability to handle the rock a little bit. Uh, he's got that defensive versatility of, uh, of Adebayo. He's got that, uh, uh, you know, you could put him on, com- you could put him comfortably on Giannis. You could put him, uh, you know, comfortably on LeBron for stretches. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, I just see him as one of those picks that before the, uh, you know, before the playoffs, it was like, ah, is he, is he a tweener? How exactly do you play him? Uh, he doesn't have that one kind of great skill where we, we look for in, in a high lottery pick. Uh, but then you see Bam Adebayo and you say like, man, there's a lot of parallels here. And uh, for that reason, Onyeka Okongu could, could really go, uh, could really end up being a, being a high pick. And he's just, yeah, that's someone we haven't talked about yet. So, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on him. That is exactly who I was going to bring up if you did not bring up someone. So it's funny how on the same page we were with some of these things and also just on complete opposite pages with a couple of other of these players. But yeah, Nyeko Okongwu is, like you said, he benefited so much from how dominant Bam was throughout the entire uh, 2020 playoff run. And that's someone that Okongwu has even said personally that he tries to model his game after. But I do think that Onyeko Okongwu is someone that could find his way even into the top five. He, I think that he's a player that teams could end up trading back for. Definitely a name to keep an eye out for on draft night. Someone that we didn't get to talk about filling one of the superlatives that we filled in this time around. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and give us a good rating. If you like the content we've provided so far, share the podcast, tell a friend. Eric and I will be here once a week to provide you with these special NBA Draft Edition podcasts. And as always, keep it locked into NBA.com, where we'll be covering everything from mock drafts, scouting reports, breaking news, and more. Thanks again for tuning in. Catch you next time.